All right, hi guys, my name is Philip Warwick and welcome right. to my first deal, which ultimately led to millions. In this podcast, we explore the pivotal first deals in real estate and in business that define what type of investor you are. So whether it's your first deal or it's the one that you learned from the most challenging mistakes that you might have made, each story is unique. And we interview very successful investors, local real estate groups, business moguls, authors, speakers, and celebrities from all over the world, providing inspiration and insight, whether you're a seasoned professional or you're just starting out. Today, we've got a very special episode with a guest whose experience transcends the realms of real estate and delves deep into the heart of sales and personal development. We're honored to have Ben Gay III with us. And Ben is not just a renowned author of The Closers, a seminal book in the world of sales, but also a master salesman whose career spans decades mentoring countless professionals towards success. What makes Ben's journey even more fascinating to me and why I have him on the show today is his personal relationship with Dr. Napoleon Hill, the iconic author of Thinking Grow Rich. His insights are not just limited to sales, but also embody the principles of success and personal development influenced by his time with Dr. Hill. So let's dive into a conversation with Ben Gay III today, uncovering the secrets of his enduring success and how the first deals in sales and business and entrepreneurship ultimately shaped his career. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Phil. I appreciate it. Pleasure to be with you. It's a pleasure to have you. We're honored. Thank you. So talk to me a little bit about your relationship with Dr. Hill. I was really intrigued when, you know, we're posting, we're doing a lot of work right now with uh, with Russell Brunson, with the secrets of success and bringing back a lot of these original works that were written by Napoleon Hill, some stuff that was never even before published. And when you mentioned that you had that personal relationship, I really had to get you on the show so we could talk a little bit about that. Well, it uh, happened this way. I joined a company called Holiday Magic Cosmetics, which was just getting rolling. We rather quickly became the largest direct sales, multi-level marketing. Now they call it network marketing, but multi-level marketing company in the world. Five major companies, product companies, plus two seminar companies that started the modern potential, human potential movement leadership dynamics and mind dynamics. And uh, they led to Est and the Forum and LifeSpring and SciWorld and all of those came from there. And most of their founders worked for us originally. So that was sort of the, the empire I stepped into and helped grow. And uh, then I accidentally won a national year-long sales contest. I say accidentally, I've never been a big fan of contests like that because I do all I can do every day anyway. I'm not going to do some more to get a television set. And so it, it was sort of, I knew I was near the top just because I was near the top <laughs> in the day-to-day -day business. It turned out our direct competitor was Zig Ziglar. He and I and my business partner had all joined the company on the same day in the same meeting, September 15th, 1965 in Atlanta, Georgia. We answered the same one ad. And if you uh, know anything about marketing plans, want to make more money, dial this number. Well, I didn't know what a marketing plan was, but I need to make more money. I was putting my wife through nursing school and I was making $100 a week. You have to adjust that for inflation. It's about 1000 a week now, but it's still called broke. 
And so we answered the ad, got in the business and took off. Zig took off faster than we did because he was 18 years older and had been in neutral bio, also a large MLM. Uh, but rather quickly, we were running in the same circles and uh, they had this contest. So near the end of the contest, somebody mentioned it to me. I'd forgotten it was going on. But somebody mentioned it said, are you going to win? I said, I don't know. So the last night of the contest, we held an opportunity meeting, Jimmy Rucker and I. And the amount of volume we did that night was the amount of volume almost to the dollar by which we won the sales contest. And it was a mystery prize. Prize, the first prize was a mystery prize. And that same night, Zig held his victory party in Greenville, South Carolina, because he knew he had won. So there's a lesson for your viewers. Don't ever celebrate a victory before it's done. You know, it's like the track star who stops running because they forget where the meet where the tape is, or the football player who begins to celebrate the touchdown and drops the ball before he's in the end zone. Zig made that mistake. So they flew me to California. Rucker was our sort of behind-the-scenes guy. They flew me to California to meet with the owner of the company, William Penn Patrick, and find out what the mystery prize was. And he said it's when he went out to dinner, he says it's presidency of the company. Well, I was a high school graduate, barely, and I was 25 years old. And I was soon to start running a company that we rather quickly got up to a million dollars a day in income in 1965, 66, 67 in that era. And if you adjust it for inflation, that's three, a three and a half billion dollar company in today's money. And I'm 25 and a high school graduate. Wow. And uh, a year before was trying to figure out how to buy beer and chase girls. So before I got married, so there I am, I'm president of the company and sort of looking around, wondering how did this happen and what am I supposed to do now? Because of my ability to sell and speak well in front of big groups, I was doing fine. They, they were running the company before I got there. I told them to keep running it. <laughs> I'd go out and stir up some money. And... uh Somewhere in that first year, uh, Dr. Hill wrote a book, and in it, I forget which one it was, it wasn't Think and Grow Rich. In it, he named what he thought were the five greatest living Americans, and one of them was Bill Patrick, William Penn Patrick. So he came out to present Bill with, a, I guess, a signed book and, and an award plaque. I didn't know he was in the building. Oh. And... Uh, so uh, although the day I joined the business, my sponsor gave me a copy of Think and Grow Rich and I think it's within easy grip, a copy of a record called The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. This is actually the record he gave me on that okay. day. So I, I listened to him. I'd read the book. I've listened to the record back then many times. And uh, it was beginning to settle in. I was doing pretty well, but I still couldn't read a balance sheet or a profit and loss. I used to flip to the back page and in the bottom right corner, if that figure wasn't in brackets. We'd made a profit and that was good. Other than that, I would sit in board meetings and stroke my chin and try and look wise. Mainly, I was just trying to shut up so they didn't know I, was, I wasn't qualified to be there. <laughs> well, 
when Dr. Hill presented Bill with a plaque at the other end of the building on the way out, Bill's walking Dr. Hill to the door and he uh, struck up a conversation, which later both of them confirmed independently. He said, I've got this young man running the business, and I bet you there are times when he's afraid to come tell me that he's scared or doesn't know what to do or whatever for fear he'll get uh, fired so uh, or have to go back to the field. And uh, Dr. Hill, and he talked about it a little bit, and he said, i tell you what, how much would you charge me to be his mentor on, or coach or whatever they called it in those days? and be available to him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can come out here. You can stay in your home back in South Carolina, but he can always reach out to you at least by phone and reach in and so on. And Dr. Hill, you got to admire his gut, said $50,000. That's a half a million dollars in today's money to chat with me on the phone and be my friend. I've always told people, it reminds me of the old comedian. Uh, I can't think of his name. He was in Caddyshack. But he said that uh, the family had to tie a pork chop around his neck so the family dog would be nice to him. And that was the pork chop around my neck, a $50,000 check. So they knocked on my door. I didn't know this conversation had gone on. They knocked on the door, and uh, my secretary let, let him in. And uh, Bill said, uh, I want you to meet somebody. Well, I'd never seen a, pi a picture of Dr. Hill at least not of that era. He was 84 years old the day I met him. I was 25, I think. So uh, I didn't recognize him. It was just an older guy. I assumed a friend of Bill Patrick's. So I got up and walked around the desk. I'm a Southern gentleman. I said, hi, my name's Ben Gay. What's yours? Because Bill hadn't said it. Bill looked at me like I was from Mars and said, that's Dr. Napoleon Hill. Oh I said, oh, my God, I've read your book and so on. And uh, I'm a big fan of yours. But keep in mind, he's 84. He's got a cane. And he was not physically, you know, he's not, wasn't ready to uh, join the track team. Okay. And so he said, I've retained him to be your mentor, friend, buddy. And uh, here's the deal. You can call on him anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he will never reveal to me anything you two discuss. I didn't believe that, so I immediately tested the system. I told Dr. Hill something first lunch we had that if Bill Patrick thought it was going on, it was a coup of the company, he would have gone through the ceiling. And I put a note in the sec his secretary's desk, sealed with wax from the art department, said, Dear Bill, it was just a test. If you're reading this letter, you have just revealed that Dr. Hill you know, broke the, the promise and so on. Well, I was there another four or five years, left the business. A couple of years later, it went bankrupt. And I'm confident when they carried Mary McGinnis's desk out in the top shelf, that letter was still there with a wax seal on it because he never broached anything to Bill Patrick. He and I discussed. It's almost like he wasn't involved in the business. Bill and I didn't even talk about him. He wow. came and went and phoned back and forth and so on. So that's how he became my friend and mentor. He had a room up at the house that no one else slept in unless we were just jammed up with guests and somebody might spill over. But it was the last bedroom filled on holidays and so on. That was Dr. Hill's bedroom. 
And at the end of my conference table, which was my desk, a big, long conference table, there was a chair that was Dr. Hill's chair. And probably much of the stuff that uh, was recently purchased was written at the end of that desk because we didn't sit around chit-chatting all day long. I, I had a business to run, but he didn't get up and leave meetings. He could go anywhere in the building anytime he wanted without, without knocking or anything. He was just Dr. Hill, one of our new fixtures. And uh, so he wrote a lot there. And then I said, do you handwrite at home? He said, well, sometimes, but I prefer a typewriter. So I got him a typewriter up at the house. And late at night, I would occasionally hear. I don't know if you can hear that or not, but he was not a high-speed typist. I thought, my God, he's written all this stuff at that speed. Oh <laughs> he must write 24 hours a day. So he, he became my friend and my mentor, and uh, we were forming a new company called Mentoring Dynamics, where we were going to bring people out. We had a huge sales field, and a lot of them were speakers and instructors. We were going to bring them out and spend 10 days in California with us, Dr. Hill and me and Bill Patrick, and uh, so that they would get the seal of approval of Dr. Hill on their forehead. You know, I'm teaching, mentoring, and so on, and I was personally trained by Dr. Hill and Ben Gay and William Penn Patrick, and uh, had the name, had the logo, ready to go, and then he fell ill and died. And I kid about this, uh, it, it was $50,000 a year or the year. At the end of the first year, he began hinting about, are we going to go forward? And so I, next time I saw Bill Patrick in the hallway, I said, Dr. Hill wants to know if we're going to go forward. Uh, it's $50,000 a year. I thought I better run it by you. And he said, you don't have to run it by me. First year was on the company. Second year is on you. Oh. If, if, if you want to continue. So I did. I wrote him a personal check for 50000 And I think I wrote the third year check because he was employed when he died two and a half years into the relationship. Wow. And now I'm using Mentoring Dynamics and we're doing it with some other people. Similar concept, sort of a, a mastermind uh, done via internet and so on. Uh, so we brought it back to life, and he's been gone 53 years, I think, now. Yeah, I think it was 1970. Uh, I still miss him every day. I still think of him every day. He's the one that got me on my daily success system using a calendar. And where if I lost this calendar, I'd just retire because uh, <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do for the next year or two. And the ever-present memo pads, wow. he gave me an idea one day. I said, oh, that's a good idea. He said, Write it down so you don't forget it. And I said, no, no, I'll remember. He said, no, no, you'll forget it. Get a, Where's your legal pad? I didn't have one. Wow. And uh, so he called to my secretary and said, get Mr. Gay a stack, a package of legal pads, and make sure he always has one within arm's reach. Well, and that's, that's intriguing because I have legal pads everywhere, but they've got notes everywhere. And like I get lost. Like, what am I doing? Do I need to get all this digital? And like right. a remarkable digital one. And I'm like, I can't use that. So I prefer, I prefer the, the written note. I prefer with somebody asked me this morning, you know, what do you have to do? And I said, I don't know. I haven't been to the office yet because I walk in and there it is on the calendar. Wow. You know, you're written in the calendar hot today, highlighted in yellow. Um, 
And this, that's the reason I say if somebody stole the calendar, I mean, I don't take it over into the house. It stays in my office for fear something would happen to it. But I write everything down, and that's the daily success system that Dr. Hill put me on, and it's it runs my life. Can you describe that a little bit? Because that was one of the questions I had for you. Is there a specific lesson or advice, you know, from him that you still use today, right? So that leads perfect into that. Can you describe Absolutely. It's changed, you know, a little bit over the years, but it's basically the same system. Let me tell you how it started. It was up at the house. It was a, uh, I think, a Saturday morning. And I took that opportunity to go out. We had a big house on top of a hill surrounded by San Francisco Bay. It was a beautiful place. Any window you looked out of, you saw the bridges, you saw San Francisco Bay, ships coming and going, yachts and so on. And I loved it out there. And knowing he was still asleep, I took that opportunity because I was putting on my socks. My uh, socks snagged on my toenails. They had I, I hadn't trimmed them in time. So I'm sitting out on the side deck with my cup of coffee in my bathrobe, trimming my toenails, thinking I'm left alone. And Dr. Hill appears. Hi, Ben. What's up? And uh, I said, I was trimming my toenails. I was snagging on my socks. He said, how often do you trim them? And I said, well, whenever they need it. He said, no, no, that's not good enough. Go get your calendar. And he'd already got me on the calendar system. He said, how long since the last time you turned me to him? I said, I don't know. They said, see, that's a problem. You have to know. So let's just guess. I, I said, does five, he said, does five, six weeks sound reasonable? And I said, probably. He said, put down, move out five Saturdays and write trim toenails, dash, move up, M slash U, move up five weeks. And if that works, there's your answer. Just do that the rest of your life. If it doesn't work, then move it up four weeks or three weeks or whatever it takes. So I wrote down trim toenails, and I had just done it, moved it up five weeks. And last Saturday was trim toenail two or three days ago. And I smiled because that's how I started on the program. I walked in, looked at the calendar, said trim toenails, move up five weeks. Wow. And but he did that gradually in every aspect of my life. Walked in the office one day and uh, I had just come back from a speaking tour, did uh, 33 speeches in 33 different cities in 11 days. And uh, that was sort of the pace that was extraordinary, but it was the pace I gave a speech or two every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, over 300 a year, you have to take out a few holidays. And he said to me, because Dr. Hill did not, he had two or three divorces, one annulment. Uh, he was not a happy camper when it came to marriage, and he didn't have a close relationship with his kids to the point I was reading about him long after he died before I, before I knew he had kids because uh, it just wasn't part of his day-to-day life. And he really admired, he sort of became a member of our family. He admired my wife and my one son at the time. We now have counting adoptions four. And uh, he said to me one day, how I just returned from a trip. He said, how's the family life working out? And I said, doing fine. 
He said, well, with your schedule. I said, well, I work it into the nooks and crannies. He said, we found the problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, we plan our business life. Get your calendar. We plan our business life around our family life. So first put family life in the calendar. And I won't bore you with all the details, but we oh, take sure. four yeah. or five long, long weekends over at the coast every year. Well, I write those in the calendar as soon as I get my new calendar. They're already written in for next year. Okay. And nothing happens to those this year five four-day blocks. There's not a story on earth that would get me to be anywhere else but over in Mendocino on the Northern California coast. And then there's one night a week for date nights. We go out frequently if I'm in town, but that's locked in. Nothing can happen. The other one, just because we're hungry, can move around, but date night doesn't move around. And uh, I was a little league coach that that didn't move around and so on. He said, now you put your business into that matrix. And I said, well, is it going to be time? He said, Ben, you've heard that the, the work expands to fit the time allowed. It also contracts to fit the time allowed. You'll get it all done. So that's a, a brief overview of my uh, daily success system. Thanks to Dr. Hill and how I met him. Yeah, I love that. And I've, I think I've had a little bit of resistance towards the calendar. And I actually pulled out a high performance calendar today, a brand new fresh one. And the resistance is like as entrepreneurs and real estate investors, we seek freedom, right? So if you're like living off of this mm -hmm. calendar scheduled thing, is that taking away from your freedom or is that giving you more freedom? Gives you freedom. Yeah. See, now I control. I used to get up as president of this big organization. I used to get up and come to the office and see what the world was doing to me. You know, what's going to happen today? Here's 15 phone calls that have already come in. Here's this. And so-and-so wants to meet with you. And and the, the board would like to have a discussion about blah, blah, blah. When I got the calendar, I began dictating. My thing and Marty, my secretary, Martha Conley, always had a copy of my thing. She would photocopy pages at a time. And uh, when somebody wanted to speak, say, well, we can do it Thursday at 2 o'clock. Well, I need to speak to him now. Not possible. Thursday at two o'clock. I have a saying: if you're if you're a friend and you're bleeding from an open artery, or there's a compound fracture, I will break into my schedule to take care of you. Short of that, you got to be on the calendar. So it frees you up. If I if I don't want to do anything, let's say Gigi and I want to go do something next Wednesday, I block it out on the calendar or five Wednesdays from now, and so on. And nothing interferes with it. So that's freedom, but I control its structured freedom. Uh, I never forget birthdays, for instance, because they're in the calendar. <laughs> and uh, people say who know me well and know I do that call it programmed warmth. Oh, it's not He's friendly and charming. <laughs> it's not friendly and warming. Yeah, friendly, warming, loves me, and never forgets a birthday. Programmed warmth. If he lost the calendar, I might never hear from him again. Wow. But it just frees you up. You know, I'm forever being asked by Gigi primarily. What Moments ago, right before I got on here, our hairstylist, we go together. She does both of us. 
uh, had a medical emergency. And Judy said, we'll have to change today's appointment. How are we looking Wednesday? I said, I don't know. <laughs> and she, After all these years, she looked at like, surely you have some idea of what's going on Wednesday. I, no, I've trained myself not to know what's going on Wednesday. It's on the calendar. So my mind is free to do other things. One time with these ever-present memo pads, and they're all over the house with a pen attached, every one of them. It was a three-day weekend. We'll call it the 4th of July. It doesn't make any difference, but it was a three-day weekend. I have one of those pads in my bathroom, in her bathroom, or the bigger bathroom, beside the bed, at both of my desks, in the car, in the shipping department, anywhere I might land, in the kitchen, uh, anywhere I might land, there's the memo pads. And then the first thing I do in the morning when I get up is I go around to the memo pads. I mean, I know there's some place I haven't been, so I don't have to check that one. But I go to the memo pads where I might have written something down and tear off the top sheet, and it goes with me to the office. Well, this it was a three-day weekend when I started ripping off the pages. I was sort of fascinated. You know, fresh ideas, reminders, ideas, uh, and uh, so on. I had in three days, 75 notations spread out among those calendars. Now, could you remember 75 great ideas that you had if you didn't write them down? Nope. No. <laughs> no, <laughs> of course you wouldn't. Uh, so uh, that has saved me. But I was asked one day at a seminar, they were fascinated that I had even known Dr. Hill, and somebody said, uh, what are the three most important things that Dr. Hill taught you. And I thought, you know, if you'd asked me for the 500 best things, I could spend three days and tell you. But the three, day, the three without warning in front of five or 600 people, I thought, oh, Lord, don't fail me now. So I just looked up at the ceiling, shut my eyes and said, number one, integrity in all things. Dr. Hill wasn't perfect. But he knew what we should, what we all should be doing, and he strove to do it as well as anybody. And I strive to do it. Integrity in all things. Two, focus. If you're working on something or talking to somebody or whatever, and that's what you've chosen to do with this five-minute block of time or hour block of time or whatever, focus on it. Because I'm one of those shiny object persons. You know, I I could be talking to you right now. Uh -huh. And to my left, there's a television on, on the news. It's on 24 hours a day because if something, World War III breaks out, I'd sort of like to know it. So it, that's there. But I fight the temptation to look right in your eyes and concentrate on you. World War III will have to wait a few minutes <laughs> if, in fact, it breaks out during our conversation. So integrity, focus, and action. Uh, the way he first taught me action, and by, and by the way, for people who don't know, the strangest, uh, it's not the strangest secret, Think and Grow Rich was a written as a sales training book. It was only for salespeople. That was going to be his market. People okay. have turned it in their minds into this deep philosophical work. It was aimed at salespeople so they get themselves organized, focused, take action, and sell more. And uh, then people have spent one gentleman who died recently spent his entire career studying the book and became famous doing it. Uh, but looking for the deep secret. Here's the deep secret from Dr. Hill's lips to my ears. Take 
action. That he said, if that's all you get out of the book, take action. We were having, he was flying in and out. He used to love flying the Learjet. So I think he made up excuses to have to come to California and meet with me. <laughs> so we sent the Lear for him, I guess. And uh, uh, he walked in on a meeting where my board of advisors and I were working on a new um, line of products, men's cosmetics, which was really wild and racy in the late 60s, that men would have anything other than aqua velva and Old Spice uh, lotion. And uh, we were having a meeting. And it was about launching this line. Well, I didn't know it till later, but Dr. Hill thought he, he, he was having deja vu the last time he was there, a week or two before, a month before, whatever it was, we were having the same meeting. So 10 or 12 people were sitting around the table and we discussed it and then we agreed to meet next Thursday and uh, they all left the room. One thing Dr. Hill did with me, he never criticized me or questioned my judgment unless direct ask a direct question in front of anybody else. Ours was a one-on-one -on -one relationship, so he waited for everybody to leave, and then the door clicked shut. And I could tell, I always knew if he was going to bring up something with me, uh, when the door clicked, if his head came up from his writing, that meant we're, we're about to talk about something. Right. Uh, and uh, the door, door clicked, and his head came up, and he said, Ben, what are you going to know next Thursday? that you don't know now about launching this product line. We already had 50, 60 items. This was just aimed at men. It wasn't like we were inventing the cosmetic industry. you know. And he said, what are you going to know next Thursday? And I said, well, I don't know, but everybody, you know, this guy is the legal department and this guy does this and this lady does this. And he said, Ben, you're dithering. People always love that story because this generation doesn't know what dithering is, but his did. I did. He I've, said, never <laughs> I've never heard it. Never heard that. He said, uh, "You're dithering. Take action." Mm. So I had Marty regather the group, and I said to them, "Is there anything, anything that any one of you needs to know before you do your section of this project?" No. Everybody's good to go, uh -huh. and I didn't ask him, but I should have. If I'd asked you that question a month ago, what would have been the answer? They were probably all ready to go at that time, you know, but I was having more meetings. I was dithering. dithering. So that was the way, instead of saying, take action, you say, well, that's a good idea. Take action. Uh, he showed me in living full color life what not taking action looked like and what it was probably costing us. We took action. We were selling the product, packaged up everything within 60 or 90 days. And it was a multi-million dollar business by itself. Wow. And if I, I would probably, if he were still alive and that product line hadn't been launched, I'd still be having Thursday meetings about it. If he hadn't taught me, take action. Take action. I think he mentions in uh, Outwitting the Devil, he talks about drifting, right? So I think okay. that, that kind of fits. sort of his cousin of dithering. <laughs> yeah. So very cool. So. <laughs> Tell me, um, you know, as it as it relates to to real estate investing, and I, I wanted to share with you just briefly, and you're familiar with the self-confidence formula, I'm sure. Um, yeah, general, from, general, sure. 
from from uh, from Thinking Grow Rich. And I mean, I can share it with you and read it real quick if you want. So uh, go ahead, get everybody on the same page. Yeah, let's do that. So the self confidence formula, and literally when I was handed this book for the first time back in 2006, I did write it in my own handwriting, like he called us out to do, right? And so it it reads like this. I know that I have the ability to achieve the object of my definite purpose in life. Therefore, I demand of myself persistent, continuous action toward its attainment. And I here and now promise to render such action. I realize the dominating thoughts in my mind will eventually reproduce themselves in outward physical action and gradually transform themselves into physical reality. Therefore, I will concentrate my thoughts for 30 minutes daily upon the task of thinking of the person I intend to become thereby creating in my mind a clear mental picture of that person. I know through the principle of auto-suggestion, any desire that I persistently hold in my mind will eventually seek expression through some practical means of attaining the object back of it. Therefore, I will devote 10 minutes daily to demanding of myself the development of self-confidence. I have clearly written down a description of my definite chief aim in life, and I will never stop trying until I shall have developed sufficient self-confidence for its attainment. And then fifth, I fully realize that no wealth or position can long endure unless built upon truth and justice. Therefore, I will engage in no transaction which does not benefit all whom it affects. I will succeed by attracting to myself the forces I wish to use and the cooperation of other people. I will induce others to serve me because of my willingness to serve others. I will eliminate hatred, envy, jealousy, selfishness, and cynicism by developing love for all humanity because I know that a negative attitude toward others can never bring me success. I will cause others to believe in me because I will believe in them and in myself. I will sign my name to this formula, commit it to memory, and repeat it aloud once a day with full faith that it will gradually influence my thoughts and actions so that I will become a self-reliant and successful person. And I signed it on the 15th day of May, 2006. At 1.50 a.m. Wow. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> You're like I am. I'm at Zig Wednesday, September 15th, 1965, at noon at 1447 West Peachtree Street, Suite 300. Now, it's not that meeting Zig was that big a deal uh, at the time, uh, but I'm like that. I focus in on little bitty things, so I have mental hooks to hang them on. That's great, even down to the time. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, so that's awesome. So part of that was talked, it talked about, you know, writing your definite purpose in life, right? And for me, I've been a real estate entrepreneur. And I, you know, I like I was a senior in high school, when I ordered one of those home study courses, like how to buy houses with no money, no credit, because as a senior in high school, I had no money and no credit. But after reading <laughs> that, I wrote my definite purpose. And this really relates to what we talked about previous to the show is and I'll read it to you. And it says, I now have over $1 million in cash and equity along with a $1 million per year business buying, selling, and leasing homes. With an average of $25,000 per deal, I buy a minimum of 52 houses per year. This means that I buy one house per week. With $1 million invested at a 30% return on investment, I could retire with a $300,000 yearly income if I so desire. This will give me the time desire to raise my children to know Jesus and teach them the sound principles of Think and Grow Rich. They can do anything they set their minds to. And I'll have all of the time that I need to keep them out of the rat race and enjoy a no limit mindset. And so I just wanted to segue that into like the the conversation we were having previous, because 
you know, I know you're in the sales and the closer of the book that you've written and, and all of the sales trainings and things like that. But I wanted to talk briefly about your relationship with real estate investing and, and how you achieve success through the works of, you know, what Napoleon taught you and, and all that. So, well, a lot of it, as we had discussed, just casually chatting before we came on uh, was I I was really young when we started making money, 23. And uh, you beat me, though, buying houses in high school. Uh, but I rather quickly figured out I went from $100 a week to $40,000 a month in 1965, 66 dollars. So that's half a million dollars a month, roughly now. And I just I, Jimmy Rucker and I had a conversation. How much how much beer can we drink? Uh, how, how many girls can we chase without success? Maybe we ought to save some of this money and do something with it. So we started buying. It was incredible what you just said when you were talking about Dr. Hill and reading the piece. You hit on integrity, yep. focus, and action, the three things he taught me. Uh, you wrote down years ago, same thing. Yep. And then uh, you're talking about a house a week. That's exactly what we did. We bought a house a week for the first year of that program, 52 houses, and uh, didn't have an, any idea what we were doing. It was just, you ought to own a house. I didn't take a real estate course or anything. It just seemed logical. So Rucker and I rather quickly built up a little thing of 52 houses. And then, as I told you, I found absentee ownership a bit of a problem because I got promoted and moved to California. And I, I don't want to hear about houses in Atlanta's, you know, in Atlanta's toilets breaking at <laughs> noon my time or two o'clock in the morning my time. So gradually we rid ourselves of some of that, although we have a few. And uh, I do a lot of work with people in your industry, coaching them, showing them what I did right and what I did wrong and and connecting them uh, you know as you and i are talking i can think of four or five people you already know them probably better than i do but four or five people that if you don't know them you ought to know them because they're doing what you're doing right. and uh, with somewhat different approaches and a couple of instances that crossed my mind so it was really important to me and the other thing that was important was uh, when you go out and do seminars, you meet so many interesting people. I've done 5,000 paid appearances and probably another 10,000 free. I'm a sucker for prisons and churches and schools and so on. Uh, but you meet so many interesting people. I figure that I've shaken hands with about two and a half million and, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, not internet or anything. And you meet people like you. You know, I, I've been thinking since we've been talking today, where the hell has he been all my life? <laughs> I mean, you're successful go-getter. We share a philosophy. Hard to believe we haven't bumped into each other somewhere out on the road. And if we have, don't tell me. I'm forever telling people, it's a pleasure to meet you. And I said, don't you remember me? I was in Dallas 25 years ago, fourth row with a yellow shirt. I go, oh, oh. the yellow shirt. <laughs> I'll never forget that. And as I said to one of Gigi's relatives one day when I met him on Main Street here in Placerville, California, I said, it's good to meet you. He said, I was at your house for Thanksgiving. <laughs> I said, oh, of course. Maybe we should shift the script to it's great to see you. Yeah, yeah, I've started doing that. And the other one is when people say, do you know so-and-so? I don't say no anymore because invariably 
they had dinner at the house in the last month or something. I, I have a thing that's not good for salespeople. I'm not very good at names. And for instance, right beneath the camera on the top of the computer is your name on a little sticky note. So in case I forget your name or, you know, have a senior moment, it's right there in front of me. And uh, on top of that, I'm face blind. It has a long Latin name. It's a neurological condition for years. I thought I was just stupid, which is a separate subject. But I'm face blind to the point that I once failed to recognize high noon, sitting four feet away from her at a picnic table, failed to recognize my former wife. Mm. She even gave me hints and I guessed. And finally, I said, oh, you're a friend of either Carlotta or, or Gigi, my current wife. She said, I am Carlotta, jackass. <laughs> so if, if you're face blind uh, and not good with names, and I've, I've tried, I've taken the memory course, no, I'm not good with names. And I don't recognize, some people have face blindness to the point they don't recognize themselves in the mirror. Yeah. I'm not one of those. <laughs> Me, I know. Uh, <laughs> And I practice, I practice her. When I was having my farewell dinner with my previous wife, uh, and we parted as friendly as those things go, I, we were talking about places we'd been and things we'd done and got sort of nostalgic. And this is our divorce dinner. I mean, that's what it was. That's the reason we agreed to be together. And uh, she, so she, you know, well, Paris was wonderful and Norway was this and so on. And I, I said, let me ask you something. If I met you today for the first time and you know, but somehow you knew what you know about me now, would you marry me again? She said, Mary, I wouldn't even date you. <laughs> so, <laughs> which I think that was an insult. I'm not sure. But in the midst of that, I thought, you know, how dare you say that? She shut her eyes and she said, what color are my eyes? Well, she was a brunette. So that's easy. Brown. She said, kept them shut and said no. And we were only married 10 years. So it takes a while to get to know somebody. Uh, Brown, I said, oh, I was just kidding. Blue, of course. And she said, no. And I'm thinking, brown, blue, what else is there? <laughs> hers, hers were hazel. Hazel. Yeah. I thought you were either brown or blue, and that was it. But hazel was it. So if you get three guesses at the color of your wife's, eyes and miss it may be time to end the relationship <laughs> oh my goodness you heard it here first if I, like i'm the same i can totally relate like with names and people i should know your name and i'll know it after the moment where i have to bring it yeah. up and it's like oh yeah. yeah that's you know that's so and so so i can i can totally i've got my bringing it up i say help me i'm you know hi do you remember me help me i'm face blind give <laughs> okay. me a hint or two <laughs> and they immediately they don't know what face blind is, most of them, but they immediately try and help. And that makes a funny moment and opening and gives them another story to tell. But of all the careers I could have gone into uh, to have those two frailties and try and be a professional salespeople, salesperson is really interesting. Well, then we combat that with uh, persistent, continuous action, right? Because I, I <laughs> tell people like, "Hey, guys, if I can do this stuff, anybody can." And it just takes that exactly. It just takes that action. That's been one of my selling points in my sales training. If I can do it, anyone can. Trust me on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
So I want to I want to talk a, a little bit about Napoleon Hill again, and you know, because we talked about integrity being at the top, right? And as you know, I'm sure there's a there's a lot of like um, like criticism around his his work or his his character, right? And I, I I don't know based on like what you read on Wikipedia, it just doesn't put him in the best light, right? And right. I, I want to know how, a, how do you balance that when you hear these kind of things from from other people? I don't balance it. I knew him personally, right. Up right. close, personal, stayed at my home, was part of my family, uh, had full run of the business, nothing he couldn't see or do. And I watched him at close range and so on. And in the beginning, understand, I thought I was doing a charity job for Bill Patrick. He's got this old friend and, you know, be nice to him. I didn't know Bill Patrick had really hired him to help me. Uh, I thought I was doing charity work for about two lunches and a dinner and then i realized oh <laughs> this is different so when i've read those things you know who who knows you could write a book about all my frailties right um people say you know you did great work at, in prison at san quentin i had my people builders course there which i did as a charity when every friday night and taught a 12-hour encounter class if you're familiar with Scared Straight at Rollway State Prison, it was sort of scared straight in reverse. They brought in young people and scared them. You don't want to come to prison. The inmates scared them. In my case, young white millionaire goes to San Quentin and scares the inmates because I told them the truth. Here's how it really works out there. Here's what you must do, or you can spend the rest of your life in and out of prison until you're shot in some awkward situation one night and so on. So listen up or you're screwed. And I did that for five years. So when I talk about, and I taught at Lompoc Federal Prison, uh, people have tended to blend the two together. I taught at San Quentin for five years. I served at Lompoc in the Federal Prison for six years, one month, one day, and two hours. A white collar situation where the government and I disagreed on a point. So I've, uh, I've, and I was attitude coach for the astronauts and I met Charlie Manson at his request in his cell three times for three hours each visit. So from Charlie Manson to the astronauts and everybody in between, kings, queens, princes, con men, Glenn Turner worked for me. Yeah. Con man, uh, Glenn Turner's name just popped in my mind. Okay. He worked for me. We had to fire him. He was causing us too much trouble. <laughs> uh, and and everybody in between, and I've observed what what they were really doing. I'm a pretty good judge of character. I never saw a flaw in Dr. Hill of any kind, not even in a casual comment. Now, he may have exaggerated, as we say in the South, never let the facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> he might have exaggerated his closeness with X, Y, or Z, but I've seen pictures of him with almost everybody he ever, he ever talked about okay. and uh, talked to him about publishing his works when this recent sale of his material came up for grabs. I thought, well, there's $10 million I missed because we had a publishing company and I told Dr. Hill that we will publish anything that you want published. Just consider it done. You don't have to go looking for a publisher and I've got a million person sales force that will force the book out. And he knew that would work because Clem Stone forced Think and Grow Rich on his million-person organization, Combined Insurance. By the way, small world, one of my 
bought a business from a guy named Morris Pickus. He was an older gentleman who wanted to retire. As soon as we met in the first meeting, he said, uh, I understand you've worked with Dr. Napoleon Hill. And I said, oh, yes, he's a good friend of mine. He said, well, I caused that. And I said, how did you cause that? Because I had never heard Hill mention him. And until that moment, I hadn't talked to him all that much anyway. Turns out he was going to see, he was a business consultant, Morris Pickus. He was on the way to see W. Clement Stone, Clem, his friends calling. And uh, back in those days, you would frequently bring a gift or a token offering to the person you were going to call on. Not unlike a bottle of wine as a hostess gift when you go to have dinner with somebody. And so he's going, I don't know if he went to a bookstore or whatever, but Morris saw in a bookstore, Think and Grow Rich. He'd never read it. He'd heard about it. It had already had its run. You know, Amazon wasn't around. Books didn't last forever. They ran a little bit and then they went away. It had had its run. But he remembered hearing the title. Although he hadn't read it, he bought a copy, flew to see Clem Stone. As he walked in, he handed him Think and Grow Rich which Clem had heard of, but never read. So he read it, fell in love with it, made it mandatory reading for everybody at Combined Insurance. They might still do that, for all I know. Uh, and tracked down uh, Dr. Hill and, long story shortened, became his manager and business partner for a while and brought Dr. Hill back to life. He was a trivia question. Thinking Grow Rich was a terrific question. Clem Stone brought it together. That was because my business partner gave Clem a book, and then they all came to work for me. Come out, coming to work, we're sitting up at the house one day, and it, it was a, a long weekend, I guess. Earl Nightingale was there, and he had become the voice of all the companies that I ran. Yeah. And we private labeled The Strangest Secret and Lead the Field, you know, lead the field with holiday magic, lead the field with... Bob Cummings, vitamins, whatever. And uh, I told him the story of how I got there, his record back then, Earl's record, and Dr. Hill's book. And one of them, I forget who it was, we were all three sitting in the living room. One of them said, well, did they do you any good? I'm in my mid to late 20s at this point, a multimillionaire. We're sitting in one of the largest houses in Marin County, surrounded by San Francisco Bay and 156 acres of land. And uh, I pause and I said, well, look around. And they looked around and started smiling. And I said, and you both work for me. So, you know, the question being, did they work? Yeah, they work fine. But you have to do something with it. Let me show you one you'll get a kick out of. This is a copy of Think and Grow Rich, one of the original ones. Oh, wow. A friend of mine saw it, and it's signed by Dr. Hill. Uh, a friend of mine saw it at uh, a garage sale, paid oh. 50 cents for it, and gave it to me. He said, Ben, I saw this. I couldn't resist. And so it's my gift to you. Her name is Sandra Nomer. And she handed me the book, and I went to open it up, and the spine has never been cracked. Oh, it had wow. never been opened except for that far so Dr. Hill could sign it. Wow. And it says to Mrs. Grace Dixon, with best wishes, Napoleon Hill. And that's the problem with thinking, well, Rich, I complimented him one day. He walked into our the same living room I'm talking about, 
and there was a copy of Thinking Grow Rich on the coffee table aimed at the entrance hallway. My wife had put it there, not even cool, you know. I said, oh, look, <laughs> a copy of Thinking Grow Rich. It was placed like we sat around the coffee table and read it together as a family every night. Not true. She got it out of my office. And uh, I said, oh, look, a copy of Thinking Grow Rich. And I said, stuck for ways to get out of this awkward moment. I said to Dr. Hill, uh, how does it feel to have written one of the best-selling books of all time? And they used to say second only to the Bible. I don't know if it was true then. I don't know if it's true now, but that was the way it was phrased. Oh. One of the best-selling books of all time. And Dr. Hill said, best-selling, least read. Oh, <laughs> He wow. knew because, you know, if you write a famous book and you talk about it all the time in seminars and so on, you know, it's contents. And when somebody starts talking to you about the book and how much they loved it, it doesn't take but two or three questions to figure out they've never read it. Oh, wow. And uh, that's Mrs. Grace Dixon, whoever she is, God rest her soul. I know the business well enough to know she heard Dr. Hill was coming to town and or was already in the seminar with him a speech and he was selling his books like we all do right. and signing them so she got in line she had to get in line to get the ticket she had to get in line to to buy the book and get in line to have him sign it and she did all those and went over and he was gracious enough to say what's your name and personalize it uh and she then took it home oh i forgot to tell you the telling thing cherry red on the front cherry red on the back Okay. Bleached out on the spine. Interesting. That means Mrs. Grace Dixon took the book home, put it in her bookcase, and okay. there it sat for 75 years until she died. And then the daughter-in-law tossed it in a box of 50 cent books at a garage sale. Wow. So what year was so that? This one? Is, when was what? What year was that one? Well, uh, this one's. I'm only going to open it and read it if I can get to it without. Uh, this one was published in 1945. Okay. But it's the original, right. you know, typesetting everything. Just that uh, by this time, uh, the Ralston Society of Cleveland, Ohio, had gotten rights to the book. They had it for a while. <clears throat> but. It proves what Dr. Hill was talking about. He used to talk about it all the time. Having all the knowledge in the world doesn't do you any good unless you access it and put it into action. Mrs. Grace Dixon had the secret to the universe in her hands. She chose to stick it in a bookcase for 75 years and leave it there until Sandra Noma bought it for 50 cents. Yeah. So... Uh, when when Dr. Hill said best-selling, least read, I knew it. I find I came to understand it then because I walked into many offices where they have the closers on their desk. One of them, there's a bunch of them now, but have the closers on their desk aimed at the door. So I'll see it when I come in, <laughs> like what my wife did with Thinking Grow Rich. But when I pick up their copy, rarely has the spine been cracked. Wow. Where a student of my work. It's been cracked, highlighted, yeah. underlined, dog-eared. You know, that, that's how you get to take advantage of it. Earl Nightingale used to say if he had some great secret he wanted to keep from humanity, he would write it in a book 
and put a copy in every library in the world. And he said, then my secret would be safe. <laughs> That's a good one. Well, talk to me about your book, The Closers, and how it would relate to, to people in today's day and age and how it would relate to real estate investors and entrepreneurs, businessmen and the like. Well, it's the best set, not to brag, but you ask. Yes, it's the best-selling, most popular, most popular, most powerful book on selling closing ever written. The Closers Part Two, in my opinion, is a somewhat better book, but they love the Closers Part One because it's the the hits the you know the punches the blocks. It's not politically correct in several spots in today's world, but it's still true. And uh, the original publisher. Uh, an author. I'm not the author of The Closers Part One in its original form. I'm the editor. I'm the one who rewrote it because it was horribly written and horribly printed. And so I, I, threw, I threw my copy in the trash or got ready to when it arrived because I fanned through the pages and pages shot all over my office because <laughs> the people who wrote it couldn't afford a printer but one of them worked at a print shop. So they snuck in at night and printed the closers on somebody else's equipment, on oh somebody God. else's paper, and they didn't know how to bind it. Half the pages were upside down and so on. So anyway, I went to throw it out and then I was just cheap enough. My Hartman briefcase was sitting open on the floor right next to my trash can. And I was about to go to New York. So I picked it up to throw it away and threw it in the Hartman. Even had a plan for getting rid of it. I'll thumb through it, see if there's anything worthwhile in here. And uh, if not, I'll put it in the seat back and let the airplane cleaning crew worry about it. That was my plan. On the way there, I started on the way to New York, I started thumbing through it. And again, horribly written misspellings, grammar mistakes, pages upside down. But I realized I had found the Dead Sea Scrolls of selling. Okay. It was it was genius. It was just poorly written genius. It would be like Shakespeare couldn't spell. And uh, so I thumbed through as much as I could, put the rubber band back around it, threw it in my briefcase. When we landed at LaGuardia, I went to a payphone on the wall. Payphones, by the way, for your younger viewers, are things you put coins in to make a phone call before cell phones. And I went to the, the payphone and I dialed the number. Some guy answered. His name was Roy Bramley. I now know, but I didn't then. I said, hi, I just read the closers. I'd like to talk to somebody about it. And he says, well, Mr. Gay, how are you? I'm, I'm looking around. I'm at LaGuardia at a payphone. Unless I'm live on candid camera, <laughs> you know, the old television show. There's no way to know that. I said, I didn't tell you my name. He said, well, we got conned by the author into uh, printing 500 copies and we did and we sold one and we <laughs> ran one ad in the wall street journal one day and oh we God. sold one so if you've read the closers your name is ben gay and you live in placerville california now what can i do for you i said you sold one he said that's it i said i'll buy the rest of them but i want to talk to you about the rights to the book uh, how many more do you have? He said, like I said, we printed 500. We sold one. I don't have to go check. We have 499. Where do I ship them? Wow. So we did. And I started giving them away to my in-house marketing reps who gave some of them away to their friends. And then 
month or so later, the phone started ringing. How can I get 50 more? How can I get 100 more? How can I get in in the condition it was in? Oh, wow. And uh, so I got serious and got written up the marketing agreement, bought the rights to it, rewrote it, re-edited it, and had it printed by a real printer. <laughs> and we, we had sold 10 and a half million copies when we quit counting 30 years ago. Wow, congrats. That's amazing. So so it's uh, it's still very popular. It's uh, If you go into a, a sales office, and there's a salesman in there over 20 right. years old. And you okay. say, show me a copy of the closer somewhere in the office. One will pop up or okay. part two or what have you. So that's sort of the history of it. And in in those years to give people hope, uh, you know, people writing book, the average written book sells or prints 500 copies. Probably doesn't sell a whole bunch of them, really? but has 500 copies give some away at Christmas till the friends quit answering the door. <laughs> uh, and, and that's the history of a book, 500 copies, 10 and a half million copies. We haven't advertised it anywhere in any form in 30 years, except mentions on the internet wow. and, and sales continue to come in. So that goes back 40, 45 years ago and not a day has gone by, not a day that I haven't made money off the closers. Wow. So where's the best and, place to get a copy? Where's what? Where's the best place for us and our listeners to get a copy? Well, funny you should ask. All right. Do not go to my website, which is the top one, because okay. it costs more there. Go to this one, stores.ebay.com okay. forward slash Ronzoni Books, all one word, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E Books, B-O-O-K-S. They sell it for less than you can get it from me or at Amazon. Okay. Uh, and I still sign them. They bring them to their local. They bring them to me for signing. Oh. Uh, and it still carries our famous uh, no questions asked money back lifetime guarantee. Okay. And of the 10 and a half million copies that I could prove in court and the few million <laughs> since then, guess how many returns we've had? How many returns have we had? Two. Two. Wow. <laughs> so it's not, my accounts always saying that's an outstanding liability. I said, we got two back. Yeah. Two. Because <laughs> I didn't read it, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They were both from ladies whose notes, they, they put the heart over the eye instead of the dot. And both books reeked of cheap perfume. I think their sensibilities were offended. Because I repeat, there are some things in the book that are not politically correct today. Wow, I can't wait to read it, and I'll share a link too for everybody that's listening, where they can go directly there and, and pick it up. So, thank you for sharing that. That's that's awesome. Very good work. Very good. And you know, you mentioned that about uh, you know, I, I think about MLM because you mentioned MLMs, and it's like once you start an MLM, all of a sudden your friends and family don't answer your phone calls anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've already said no <laughs> when we joined uh, Rucker and I. And then we started making some money and buying houses. Uh, we also bought a Cadillac, just one. And mm -hmm. whoever had the best prospect that night at the opportunity meeting got to use the car. Oh, nice. Uh, but when it was when it was my day to use the car, and I by chance would visit my family, the neighbors would quit speaking to me because, you know, hi, and I'd start drawing circles and uh, <laughs> trying to recruit them in the business. 
when the Cadillac showed up, they were all friendly again. Hi, Ben. How's it going? <laughs> you weren't talking to me last week when I was driving a Nash Rambler. What what has changed? Well, it looks like you're doing well. Right on. So uh, I wanted to mention something because it just came to mind. And, you know, when you mentioned in your Facebook comment to me, you said that many times uh, Dr. Hill thought that his work would soon be forgotten. Yes. Talk to me a little bit more about that. And like, what what do you think of what we're doing and what Russell Brunson is doing with these original works and the secrets of success? Have you looked into that? And have you had any thoughts about some of what we're sharing here? Yeah, you guys are sort of the third wave of okay. Think and Grow Rich. Oh. The first one was the first one. And, uh, and it's amazing to me that he sold that many books to anybody in those days without the internet, without Amazon, you know, scattered around bookstores and word of mouth. He didn't couldn't afford to do much advertising. And then, of course, his seminars. Most of us who've written books make a lot of money sitting at the back table signing books and or audios or whatever. And uh, so uh, Dr. Hill had that run. And then he had a second run when Clem Stone discovered him. And maybe I helped that a little bit because as I got better known and talk in front of groups, if you met me socially at a bar, it wouldn't be five minutes before Dr. Hill's name would come up because I found like my books, it's sort of my passport to uh, credibility. Yeah. You know, if, if they don't know who Dr. Hill is, it doesn't mean much. But if they do know, people go, oh, you knew Dr. Hill? You know, or you just read his books. No, he was a personal friend who worked for me. Yeah. My God, how is that possible? I said, well, I was in that area, you know, Zig worked for me. And uh, I could even say Clem Stone worked for me in a few seminars, <laughs> but he charged. So, uh, yeah. but uh, Zig worked for me full time. Uh, Earl Nightingale was the voice of my companies. He worked for me and so on. So you meet interesting people like that. And then I've learned how to trade on that. When Earl Nightingale asked me to form his distributor organization, he wanted something like ML, like like Holiday Magic, because we were by far his biggest customer. Right. He said, can you put one of those together with me? I said, I'll help you with it. Sure. So I went out and I started talking to people, practicing the scripts that his distributors would use. I don't just write a script and say, this is good. I write it. I test it. My neighbors hate to see me coming because <laughs> of like... I come up the sidewalk with paper in my hand. I'm there to test a script for somebody. And uh, so I, I go out and I start talking about Earl Nightingale because he was the sort of, he and Dr. Hill were sort of the centers of my growth and development as a young man. And uh, one guy, I noticed some bewildered looks, but one guy, a dentist in San Rafael, California, listened to my scripted presentation and then said, uh, ben, I think the world of you, and I'll do whatever you tell me, but I don't understand how playing bird calls to my staff is going to help them. I said, I don't either. <laughs> Why would you play bird calls to your staff? And he said, well, you keep talking about this nightingale. <laughs> he did. You never heard of Earl Nightingale. Wow. So I changed the script that I had written to, of course, you've heard of Earl Nightingale, the most listened to radio voice in the world heard daily on over 700 radio stations in the United States and Canada, to which everyone would go, oh, yes, 
Yes, of course, because no one wants to be the idiot who hasn't, who's never heard the most listened to radio voice in the world. So I've used Dr. Hill in that way with people. It just gets you, you know, in my, you now have it. And of course you had it anyway, but you now had it because I guarantee I'm the only person you've ever met who knew Dr. Hill. 100%. Bob, Bob Proctor built a career around uh, Dr. Hill's work. Right. And I've, it's one of my few serious regrets in life. Bob Proctor worked for me. Wow. Dr. Hill worked for me at the same time. And I didn't know of Bob's fascination. He never mentioned it to me. He was still doing our holiday magic scripts. Okay. Never mentioned it to me. So they were together at the same time. I could have easily brought them together, had them meet, and uh, yeah. he'd have an even better story. Because then he'd be in the position to say, my personal friend, Dr. Right. Napoleon Hill, and that helps. You know, you're now one handshake away from Dr. Hill yourself. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a great testimony. That's awesome. And I, I think I don't know how much you've looked into to what we're doing here with the Think and Grow Rich and with Napoleon Hill, but you know, the opportunity to pick up like basically it's a it's a free offer, right? It's free, just pay shipping, and they get a copy of Think and Grow Rich. They get a copy of um it will place you wherever you wish to be among men, a book by Napoleon Hill, Practical Lessons in Applied Psychology, which is a very rare book. And then an unpublished book that was never before published, which is Master Salesmanship by Napoleon Hill, which I think you'd be intrigued by some some of this work. But a lot of the names that you drop that you've got relations with, right? So it's a free plus shipping, kind of like a membership site now at this point. And behind all of that, it's a lot of work that that Russell's doing, like essentially building, um, you know, what we would call like an event center, um, a library, a museum with all of these original works and public unpublished works and original, you know, works that that Russell's picked up. And, you know, inside the library, we also get access to Earl Nightingale, you know, lead the field, the secret advantage, the strangest secret. Um, your success starts here. Right. So there's so much stuff like inside of of the library that we have access to from from a lot of these greats that you're talking about today and um it's 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 amazing work and i don't know if you you've looked into it but as it applies today right so we're talking about these works that were written back in the 1800s and early 1900s and we're talking about you know napoleon hill and there's there's earl nightingale stuff in here jim Rohn stuff in here uh, dale carnegie right elsie uh, lincoln benedict is a book that we're going through right now such such cool things and so how do you feel all of that relates to success today because i like to tell my clients my coaching clients like hey i can teach you all the tools and all the tactics of real estate right the how to but if you don't have the mindset right you your chance right. of success are, are scarce right so what do you think of that and what we're doing there god bless you and as i think i said to you in an email at some point dr hill is smiling down on you yeah. Because he sincerely believed, he used to talk about it frequently. He was a humble guy. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't Tony Robbins. And I don't mean that as an insult to Tony, but you know, Tony, it's sort of hard to miss Tony. Yeah. He's eight feet tall. His teeth came out of a key, piano keyboard somewhere. Yeah. And he's yelling, <laughs> Dr. Hill, you wouldn't have known he was in the room unless somebody pointed him out to you someone he never was an attention hog and what have you. So he, he sort of, he'd seen Thinking Go Rich die once before. Uh, 
So he he and become a, he and the book became a trivia question, yeah. except for happenstance. So he was acutely aware. You couldn't say, "Oh no, you'll never be forgotten." His answer to that would be, "I already have been. Yeah. It already happened. Past tense. I'm back, but I now know how it works." Yeah. Uh, there are many great books that die of uh, that 500 book death. And uh, he was aware of it. So he he literally, I think I'm quoting him accurately. I don't remember writing it down at the time. He said, I and my works will soon be forgotten. So for me, he died roughly 53 years ago. I met him 56 years ago. Uh, for me, it's exciting to see you guys do what you do. I, I'm pushing my stuff. I'm running my businesses. I don't have time, although I probably should have. And I repeat, we offered him. Uh, I'm stunned at all the unpublished works that have been discovered. And I'm sort of saying that with a wink uh, because we said to him, Bill Patrick and I, we will publish anything you want published and we'll push it out through our million person sales force wow. around the world. And I was always thinking English speaking world, but the closers is in 26 languages. Wow. So his his stuff could have been too. Uh, somebody sent me a book one day, and I I looked at it, and I thought, well, that's nice. People, I get two or three free book review copies a day, and I thought, well, this is nice. And then I looked at it closer, and I said, they sort of stole the design of the closers, not any of the words, but the design. And then I flipped it open, and in the very back, there was a little thing in English translated from the closers published in the united states blah 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 it was the closers but i didn't recognize it because it was in arabic or something <laughs> wow <laughs> and i if my name was on it it was in arabic because i didn't even recognize my own name and i'm pretty good at that <laughs> i can spot gay third in a phone book just boom you know so uh, but I'm I'm thrilled with what you're doing. I'm impressed. Dr. Hill, I promise you would be, because you're going to give it another life. This one won't be forever, but you're going to give him another life, a fourth generation life. And But the exciting thing is not the number of books you're going to sell or have sold or what have you, or I've sold. It's the lives you change. If Dr. Hill had never come to work for me and we met in that manner, he never would have known the impact he had on my life. Everything began to change the day I joined Holiday Magic Cosmetics, got a hold of a record called The Strangest Secret, and was handed a book called Thinking Grow Rich. Wow. That was the turning point in my life. I stepped into a phone booth to answer that little marketing ad that they had. Uh, if you want to make you know anything about marketing plans want to make more money dial this number i stepped in the phone booth and dialed your younger viewers won't understand that right. dialed not punched dialed in the seven digit phone number i didn't realize i was dialing in the launch code of the rest of ben gay's life wow and from that phone and then i interviewed the guy who ran the ad bill dempsey one of my early mentors interviewed him because I wanted to make sure he was worthy of hiring Ben Gay of Ben Gay of Brown Gay Food Brokerage Company, skipping over the fact the Gay and Brown Gay Food Brokerage was my father. It was not me. I had nothing to do with anything. I was just a salesperson. 
And about five minutes deep into my question of Bill Dempsey, he said, Mr. Gay, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm not the man standing in a phone booth answering want ads. If you, where are you? And I said, I'm at the corner of, at the fork of Peachtree and West Peachtree Street in, in, in downtown Atlanta. And he said, oh, you're only a couple of blocks from me. Be standing in front of my desk in 10 minutes or never dial this phone number again. And he slammed down the phone. For you young people, we used to hang up phones. So we did the <laughs> button. We slammed. And if you were mad, you just slammed it down. And 10 minutes later, there I was standing there. Wow. Introduced myself to the receptionist. Hi, I'm Ben Gay. And from behind me came this laughter. And I'm used to that with that name. So I turned around to see who's now going to make fun of my name. And uh, I said, hi, my name's Ben Gay. What's yours? And he said, Zig Ziglar. I said, with a name like Zig Ziglar, you're making fun of Ben Gay? you got to be kidding me. And that became a years-long friendship, which led to Dr. Hill, which led to uh, so many great things in my life. So I'm just, I'm probably his biggest fan. Um, one of the very few people alive, except for a few close relatives, maybe, who met him. But just about, I'm the last protege of Dr. Hill. He didn't like coaching people. So I was one of the few, and for sure, the last. Wow. And uh, so to see him come back to life through you guys, uh, I'm just thrilled. Do it, push it, anything I can do to endorse it. And as you probably know, I'm the executive director of the National Association of Professional Salespeople which comes with the NAP seal of approval if the board, which I dominate, okay. grants. Is it there? Yep. I will, I will send you the artwork for that. And okay. you may put it on anything that you guys are doing that involves selling and or mentions Dr. Hill. Wow. And it will help sales. When I first started, I created the, the organization. 40 plus years ago when I first put it on books, it was interesting. Sales went up, but the National Association of Professional Salespeople had one member, me. <laughs> <laughs> but it, because it had the seal of approval of me, sales went up noticeably. And now we have 30 or 40 people we've given it to, and you're the latest. Wow, that's an honor. I really appreciate it. And I think that you know, your book can be that turning point for other people too. So I want to encourage people to order a copy of your books as well and get familiar with your work too, because it just takes one deal, one relationship, one person, one opportunity to change somebody's life forever. Right. Yep. So, and I've seen, I've been in this business. I've seen that hundreds of thousands of times. I didn't know them all intimately, but hundreds of thousands of times from San Quentin to Lompoc, to the astronauts, to 5,000 paid appearances of folks who are trying to better themselves, invest their time and money. That's usually the first step for me. If you'll invest your time and money in trying to get better, then I'll give you my time. And right. I've just seen so many people like that. So many, there are a lot of great names, famous names that you know that I don't toss around because they're not yet old enough to want people to know that it wasn't their idea. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's not. There were, <laughs> I, I sort of. I, I, I'm old enough to. I know who was who, who did what, who didn't do what, and I know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I like that, and I think it's important for people to have mentors, whether it's through the works of 
books like Think and Grow Rich and your works and your books. And, you know, I, I remember back when I got started and I, I went full time real estate investor in 2003, which means the first six years it was it was dabbling. It was learning. It was doing a deal here and a deal there. But it wasn't until I came under mentorship that I took and had the confidence to do a deal a week. Right. And as many deals as I want, wanted to do and, you know, seeking mentorship and, you know, somebody that's gone before is very important to success. So the Chinese have an old saying, I'm paraphrasing it. Sure. So if you want to know what's down the road, talk to someone coming the other way. <laughs> okay. Like know, there's your mentor. Dr. Hill had been down the road. He'd experienced fame and a degree of fortune and uh, so on. And then he virtually lost it all. And then he came back. He, I was doing a seminar speech one day somewhere, and Dr. Hill was with me. And I, I was the, the feature, which sort of embarrassed me because he should have <laughs> been, but he hadn't fully come back yet. And uh, someone uh, they were up introducing me, and the guy sitting next to me had either spoken or was going to speak, but he didn't stop eating his salad. And they're talking about Ben Gay is wonderful, and we're honored to have Ben Gay here, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, you know, 25 years old. And I, I turned to him. I have a weird sense of humor. I said, you don't seem terribly impressed to meet me, and you're about to hear me. He said, I'll be interested in what you have to say after you've crashed and burned and come back again. Oh. And I thought, whoa, who do you think you're talking to, you know? And I crashed and burned and went to federal prison and, you know, uh, so on. And I thought, I don't remember his name. I remember the salad he was eating and his total disdain for this young whippersnapper. Oh, wow. After you crash and burn, come talk to me. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's, a great, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Well, I know I want to respect you and your time. I know we've gone over a little bit, but I think we could talk for hours and hours on end. It's been good. And if, if we ever do this again, that's totally up to you. And I'd be willing. I've got some hilarious stories about Earl Nightingale and Dr. Hill behind the scenes and a lot of other people. And if if they're dead, that's my specialty has become talking about dead people. Okay. A, I don't risk offending them. Okay. And I don't risk being contradicted. <laughs> but I've got some funny stories about Earl Nightingale. And, and they're loving. They're great stories. But they're not the Earl Nightingale you're thinking of. Okay. Well, do you want to share one now in closing? Well, let's survive the editing cut. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> okay. I'll, this, this is a cute one. We were their largest. And by the way, ladies if uh, and religious folks, if you're easily offended, this would be a good time to stop listening to me. It's not all that terrible, but it, it's not like me, and it wasn't like Earl. Belltone Hearing Aids was probably their second largest customer at Nightingale Conant. We were their first. And uh, Lloyd Conant, who was the business brains of the Nightingale Conant, and everybody thinks of Earl, but Lloyd ran the day-to-day -day business. Lloyd came to... Uh, Earl and said, uh, Belltone Hearing Aids wants us to do their, wants you to do their Christmas message. Earl was a quick reader and he was a cold reader. You could hand him a script he'd never seen. He could walk in the recording studio, sit down and read it like he wrote it. Oh. And uh, nice. without mumbling a word. 
And uh, so Orwell gave it a quick scan. He says, I'm not reading that crap. And uh, Lloyd says, well, we don't really have a choice. He says, it's so icky gooey, you know, yuletide green, you see yours, maybe the sunflakes, snowflakes land in your hair and melt gently. I'm making up stuff, but it was that, that type of thing, which was not Earl. Earl was staid, stoic, and quietly sarcastic. And Lloyd said, we don't have a choice. We have to take this business. And you, know, and you have to be nice to Ben Gay, whether you like him or not. Those two companies are keeping us afloat. So he convinced Earl that he had to do it. Earl goes into the studio right down the hall, where his engineer who worked with him, even moved to Florida in retirement with him, uh, was his sound guy. And he had gotten spoiled by the fact that Earl never made a mistake and uh, could cold read anything. So he, he pretty much, I think he read books while Earl was recording. You look up and if Earl was still moving, he was still recording. When he quit talking, he hit the stop button. So Beltone wanted to send out this Christmas message from them and Earl Nightingale on the Flexi Records. I don't know if you remember those, but they could come in magazines or whatever. You tore them out. They were square, but they were small, like a 45 uh, RPM. So you could put a square record on a turntable and the corners didn't hit, but it enabled them to put a recording in a magazine made out of a plastic page, basically. And uh, so Earl goes in the thing for Evertone uh, using the Evertone system and records Beltone's hearing aid, uh, hearing aid Christmas message, blah, 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 snowflakes in your hair. And may Santa Claus bless you and your family, etc. Okay. This is Earl Nightingale. Have a very merry Christmas. Got up and walked out. The engineer notices he's gone, hits stop. Off it goes to Evatone to be pressed. I'm back in Chicago and they're trying to sell me on using the Evatone Flexi records, which I did for a different reason. But I'd never said, I didn't even think it'd play. So they said, well, we've got 10,000 records out here in the hall that are going, waiting for the guy to pick them up. They're going to Beltone hearing aid distributors all over the world, I guess, or country. So they go out and they pull one flexi record out of the pile, fold back the cover, put it on the record player in the conference room and begin to play it. Hello, this is Earl Nightingale, blah, 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 blah. Happy snowflakes to you. This is Earl Nightingale. Have a wonderful Christmas. Jesus Christ, what a crock of shit. <laughs> the engineer hadn't caught the little comment Earl made after the pause. He left the pause so the engineer would edit it there. <laughs> Earl was very familiar with radio. But that was on Les and Ron Davis, two VPs of sales for them, not related, but same last name. One of them jumped up ran out and threw his body on top of the 10,000 records so they didn't go anywhere. The other one threw his body on top of the record player like that would solve the problem. And I'm just sitting there in hysterics. He gets up off the record player to go help with a bigger problem. I picked up the record they had, refolded it and put it in my briefcase. Okay. Weeks later, months later, we're having dinner with Earl. 
and he's telling the story. He said, you won't believe what happened. And, and Ron and Les said, yeah, Ben was there. He heard it when we heard it. Oh, okay. He said, well, thank God we got all the copies back. And I said, well, almost all the copies back. And Earl did the slow head turn towards me. <laughs> said, what does that mean? I said, it means that I have one in my office in San Rafael, California. We might someday, if I'm short of money, discussing, we might discuss you buying it back. <laughs> so Earl went to his eternal rest, believing I still had a copy of that record. And I do, do. somewhere. <laughs> it's here somewhere. I've offered all sorts of rewards to warehouse people. Should you find a little white thing, smaller <laughs> than eight by 10, uh, it looks like it has a record in it. I will make life very good for you. <laughs> so far, no take. That's awesome. Finally, maybe, maybe Russell will buy it from you. <laughs> we can do something with it. <laughs> That's awesome. So there's one. But if we ever do it again, I've got others. Yes. Very cool. Well, it's been a pleasure. And, you know, I want to honor your time and respect your time and encourage all of my listeners and everybody to get yourself a copy of the closers i'm going to be getting my copy today for sure and uh i really appreciate it you know so really that's a wrap for the show here today and you know if you'd like to hear my story and how i did my first deal and extra footage of other people that i interviewed there'll be a link down in the comments and i'll put a link here uh with ben's information as well so you can get a copy of his book and i'd love to hear your comments and what you guys thought about the show today and in addition if you'd like for me to fund your deals or have some deals and capital that you'd like to fund for me or if you'd like to be able to come to my office and check out exactly what we do every day in real estate investing i'll put a link down below as well so anyway ben i want to thank you once again and uh i really appreciate having you on on the show and until next time thank you